where it takes parents because the house, the rewiring has taken on such a level of intensity oh, wow. that we can't actually be in the house. Literally whipping, rip, ripping walls apart. Um, it is not a suitable environment for a child or a spaniel. Tinch, do you want to finish off your... Um... No, no, I'm going to jump in the cards of the podcast. What are you, Tinch, what are you eating? Uh, Nicky's made me some porridge. You're just asking loads of questions. Can do if you want to. Porridge with two fruits. Which fruits would you think would be in my which porridge? Which, which blueberry. Should... Always blueberries. Correct. Cranberries. And... Uh, no. Raspberries. What, Trump? Banana. Banana. Good shout. Terrific. I know Chinch's porridge porridge Terrific. technique. Banana in everything. Is, is banana another... Do you not like bananas, Steve? That everybody likes that Steve doesn't. You don't like bananas? Weird. Weird? Yeah, they're just... Do you like kiwi fruit? No. Oh, God. He's like I was when I was like what? six and didn't like stuff, but you know I grew up. I would I would say I like bananas, but I would say that kiwi fruits are massively overrated. If he thinks bananas are weird, kiwi fruit look like a, a testicle, don't they? Hairy <laughs> testicles. So if you think that a kiwi's okay, but a banana's not, but if you don't like kiwi or banana, then fair enough. Do you think you could manscaped a kiwi fruit? Mm, yeah, give it a go. Do you think that would make it more accessible as a fruit? You'd you'd need the clip guard on it though, wouldn't you? I think. You don't. You don't want to bull. Yeah, probably. If you don't. Yeah, you don't want to. You, yeah. No, not completely. No, that would be awful. But do you know what I mean? Like people think of kiwi fruits as being like really exotic. Do you know what else is an overrated fruit? The mango. Oh, I like. No, you're going to say mango. I'm a big fan of mango for my time in East Africa. Yeah, mango's fine. Yeah. But it's 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 a li- it's lionized for no apparent reason. People bang on about how great mangoes are. Papayas. Nothing's more overrated. Beautiful than a papaya. papaya. Oh yeah, papaya and mango in Dar es Salaam. Oh. Nothing better. The the effort to reward ratio on a pomegranate is not high enough. What have you got against mango yeah, and papaya true, yeah. anyway? What is it the sliminess? Chinch, don't talk sport the fruit debate. Just because you say you don't think something's amazing doesn't mean it's awful. So But you do. I like mangoes and papaya. You're either in are or you're out. Fine. You're in or you're just, out. That's nonsense. You can't be half hearted about a mango. Mangoes and papayas are fine. They're fine. They're just not fine. They're not is amazing. An, fine is an awful, they're, they're not, they awful don't deserve, word. They're fine. They're just slippery oranges. <laughs> This is Set Beast Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Rory Smith, not old enough yet to have the COVID vaccine. Stephen Wyeth, old enough to have the COVID vaccine. And Andy Hinchcliffe, so old he's had the COVID vaccine twice mm-hmm. and needed a day to recover on the second <laughs> occasion. Um, the food is, as already discussed, porridge with two fruits. Um, and Chinch is already enjoying that to the extent that he is now using his tongue at some great extent to remove all of it from between his rather jagged teeth. The football is changed. Do you know what we're talking about today? Is it a follow-up to the player pathway debate that we've had previously? Uh, it is, Chinch, and well done for checking with me just Thanks. before we started recording. Uh, after realising following last week's episode that we almost completely failed to deal with the questions raised in the email that prompted it, we're having another go today. So from player pathways to player priorities. Why should a player move? And if they've decided they will, where should they go and why? This will become known as the Grealish Kane episode. Uh, that is to come. You can get in touch with the podcast, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube as well. Our first email is from Carolyn Porter. I write, says Carolyn, without a witty greeting or intent to be read on air. I just wanted to tell you all how much I enjoy Set Piece Menu, she says, immediately meeting the very low threshold required to get something read out (laughs) on air. 
I live in Western North Carolina, USA. It is a beautiful part of the country, rural and mountainous. About 12 years ago, I signed my four-year-old up for recreational soccer. I ended up coaching some of his early teams and eventually helped found and run a more competitive youth soccer league in our region. My son has moved on to other interests but I'm hooked. There are very few people in this area that I can discuss soccer with or who share my level of, of obsession. Bless you, Jennifer, my co-worker that I commiserate with about Spurs. Each week, I get to be a quiet part of an insightful discussion about football. Let me be another person to confirm how comforting it has been to listen to SPM during the pandemic and political upheaval in America. One of the highlights of this difficult year has been my rise to ninth in the SPM PLPL for a few heady days early in the season. Unfortunately, no one I know can appreciate what an honour that was, though I have tried endlessly to explain it to them. Thank you for SPM and keep up the good work. Uh, that's from Carolyn Porter, who has a by the way, I live next to a bear sanctuary, a national forest where bear hunting is prohibited. Black bears are shy creatures, but we see them occasionally, including one who took a splash in our pond. We're always thrilled. Um, and at last glance, Carolyn, by the way, you were an excellent 11th in the SPM PLPL table. Head to tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu for a look at how you are placed heading in to the denouement. Most is sorted in the Premier League, but this is very much not. Well, that's the beauty of the SPM PLPL. Even though we know which sides have been relegated, even though the top three is pretty much stitched up, there is still all to play for. And late movement in the table can make a huge difference. Art Megalian is in Minneapolis and frequently gets a top 10 place in the set-piece menu listen and names power rankings. Um, regularly produced in my head. Art would like to contribute to the transatlantic pronunciation debate, and thankfully he does so without mentioning squirrels once. Squirrel. Dear, squirrel, no, squirrel. Uh, de dear Henry Higgins, Noah Webster, William Sapphire, and Andy. So three excellent men with great understanding of the way that words work. And Andy, the language differences between Americans and Brits are so wide, says Art, and jarring to the ear that they defy any attempts to explain or excuse them. But one in particular is so painfully obvious that I can't believe you have not commented on it yet. You guys say something like Premier League with no clear syllabic emphasis. Americans cannot help but say Premier League. That is from Art Megalian, who makes an excellent point and something that we should have brought to everybody's attention at the earliest possible opportunity. Is it not Premier League? Yeah. Premier. Premier. No, I think it's Premier. Premier. I think Americans say Premier. Premier or Premier? No, that's the first showing of a film, isn't it? Well, it's Premier. Oh, here we go. Premier. Premier. Uh, anyway, we've, we've clearly made Art's point not only muddied, but also worse. What is the person who's in charge of Russia called? Putin. No. <laughs> I mean, yes. I thought that was a quiz question. Blockbusters. <laughs> Have a pee, please, Bob. That's a joke that quite a lot of our audience in America won't get. But they'll the... Google the hell out of it. They really will. Um, I think he's the Russian Premier. It's an E in English, English. So would he be the Russian prem Premier or Premier? In America. Very why don't we just, why don't just ask an American? That'd probably be the answer. Uh, we have done. We have, by speaking about it in this instance, we have asked for more insights from Good. our American friends. So thank you very much indeed. Um, at the risk of uh, shutting that down earlier than we uh, need to, we're shutting that down now. You can with voice messages now. <laughs> yes, thank you. Please do send that. To, no, don't. Uh, much of our correspondence over the last few weeks has uh, been specifically related to the European Super League, you will have noted, but... In a trend very journalistic in its nature, and therefore something that makes us very proud, listeners are now considering the 
follow-up stories. Indeed, Azar Khan has written a whole blog post on how to improve football in the wake of the ESL debacle. He sent it to us, and without his permission, I will summarise his main points uh, that are put forth based on his experience as a corporate lawyer based in Didsbury, uh, saying that leaning more into sound business practice would improve football immensely. He's just the following. Number one, mandatory quarterly town halls with owners. Azar says a representative group of fans could ask questions of the management, scrutinise past actions and input ideas, a chance to offer visible leadership and would help remedy the lack of transparency. Number two, abolish undisclosed transfer fees and regulate agents' fees. And number three, more investment to help players transition into the business side of the club, not just media, coaching or ambassadorial work. Azar suggests having ex-players who uh, both understand and command the respect of the fans taking a pivotal role in club operations. Thanks to Azar Khan, you can find that blog on the internet. The the only thing with that, and that that last point is something you quite often hear people people raise. And the IATS model is kind of cited where Edwin van der Sar is chief exec or something similar, and Mark Overmars is technical director, and yeah. there's various other kind of ex players in in the IATS structure. Similar at Bayern, where Charlie Rumenigge and Hassan Salihamidzic and various others. Well, Oliver, Oliver Kahn, Oliver Kahn from next season, yeah. But the only thing I would say is that. I get the I get like the spiritual appeal of it, but at the same time, and this isn't this is not meant to be derogatory in the slightest. They're footballers that they don't have twenty five years of business experience. I would rather have a business person running my club than a footballer who has been kind of fast tracked into business, and who's because what they played in goal is going to be better at managing accounts. I don't know. I just think. I think that I get the appeal of it. I get why people think it's a good idea, but I'm not sure it, it necessarily has any massive benefit. I would rather have competent business people than footballers portraying competent business people. It's one of those things that ties into the the discussion of how you can't run a football club like a regular business and that, that often discussed trope of why are all these successful business people making such a hash of mm. running a business that happens to be a football club? I suppose Edwin van der Sar did go away and, and study. Yeah, I think he's got an MBA, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know that like, experience is a huge factor in, in becoming successful in anything, but at least he went and got a grounding in in the skills he would require to make that transition. It wasn't, he didn't sort of hang up the gloves one day and he was in the boardroom logging onto his Mac the day after. Yeah, it wasn't like, right, I've, I've, that's the last penalty I need to save. Now I'm going to get just stuck into HR. <laughs> I'm off to Brooks Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> the, in one of the old FIFA games, which I think Peter Brackley did the commentary on, which sort of highlights its age, there was one of the, one of the pre-programmed lines whenever there was a penalty or, a, or a, like a free kick was, and this will reignite the debate over whether referees who haven't played the game at the highest level are really fit to referee or something like that. And I remember thinking even at the time, like that's, that's not a debate. It's not like no one has ever thinking, do we need more international footballers to retire and become referees? And I think it's similar with people who run marketing departments. The football, the football inside of the experience is not relevant. They don't. And also to be honest, footballers don't, I think we, we too easily conflate what, clubs mean to players and what clubs mean to fans because they're not the same thing at all that idea was floated again recently about how terrible the refereeing is how awful VAR is and that we should be getting more former players into the business of refereeing they'd be absolutely diabolical at it that's why they don't do it and they know they would be and also the grief you get why on earth would you want to go into something like that 
But how yeah. many has there ever been a, a player who has got to a decent level that's gone into refereeing? Which well, is, no, because no, the, not the, one. Pri- the primary qualification for being a referee is being bad at football. Ah, there's a chance <laughs> for me then. Yeah, so it's I could ref- break the mould. I'd be an awful referee, having been an awful footballer. No, no, a semi-decent footballer. What do you think? I think it's a, I think it's a plan. Would your knees hold up to it? I look good in black and green. Yeah, maybe it's the thought. How long does it take to to train up to be a referee? How many is it? Is it weeks or? I, I believe it's. Is there not? A, it's an afternoon course. I think <laughs> as long you as did, an afternoon, really. You do wow. it on the same day as you've done the driver awareness course in the morning. Is it online? You, you just, just do it online in the afternoon, <laughs> and, you're, and you're sorted. Um, Advite is from Kerala in India. Hi all, love your podcast. I think this is an old idea, but I haven't researched because I'm too busy listening to soccer podcasts. If this idea is widely known, then just crumple it up and toss it in the virtual bin. The idea is that there are two winners of each league. Number one, the one with the most points. And number two, the one with the most points per dollar, PPD, or points per pound for you blokes, PPP. Both winners get equal attention and equal accolades on television coverage. The PPP winners also get a big, fancy, shiny silver trophy to put in their trophy case. PPP is worked out using the points they earn that season divided by the money that the club spent on player wages, transfers, staff, etc. That would be appropriate accounting rules and standards and auditing to keep it fair, perhaps uh, undertaken by a former player who has now done their MBA in business studies. Um, then He didn't write that, obviously, because he had no idea that there was a previous email. Then, on the various soccer talk shows and podcasts, the hosts would talk as much about the best PPP clubs as the best points clubs. This system would incentivize teams to be more efficient. What do you think? Thanks for your great podcast. That's from Advite. Um, by the way, we do have a number of incredibly skilled, clever people with a lot of time on their hands, more time than we would ever have. So if those people who have perhaps taken to a spreadsheet uh, on occasion in the past would like to do that, then I'm just saying we would accept that work. I'm not saying that... Who would we, who would we guess would be top of the Premier League if we did go down that road? The PPP. I guess. The PPP. The PPP Premier League. The PPP Premier League. I, I would imagine West Ham, but equally it could be Leeds. Ooh. Because although Leeds York, spent... Live in Yorkshire, do you? <laughs> although Leeds did spend quite a lot of money in the transfer market, their wage bill must be relatively low. And there is, I've been having this conversation with quite a lot of people that, that I think they should give the fourth Champions League spot to Leeds on the grounds that they are almost as good as everybody else, but have Luke Aylin in the team. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. No, but no, Luke Aylin has been brilliant. And I, to be fair, I'd give him an England call-up. But it, Leeds, Leeds is actually quite a powerful rejoinder to quite a lot of teams. Because if, if you look at that squad, one, you know, sort of Rafinha, maybe Calvin Phillips, one or two apart, it it's not massively different to a championship team and they are playing at such a high level and competing you know they've beaten spurs they've drawn with united they've drawn with drawn with liverpool they've beaten man city like they they are as good as they can be on their day as good as these teams and you look at all these other teams who've got kind of vastly superior resources who are arsing about being rubbish and leeds have got a team that's still got a load of championship players in it playing brilliant football it show it, it, they really show how how important coaching is they are a lesson it's it's a good point. Is rejoinder a real word or yes. not heard yes. that one before? I'm not in word. word. Not in Reacher. That's why it's not the sort <laughs> ah, of thing that appears in Reacher. Yeah. I don't know whether Rory's noticed. There have been a few protests of late amongst football fans about some unpopular ideas to change the game. Mm. I'm not quite sure 
what you're willing to bring to your door in response to a new system for Champions League qualification, which is <laughs> the top three and another team arbitrarily chosen by you that just happens to be geographically convenient. I think that that would be... Is, to be fair, Steve, you should know my motives here, and it's nothing to do with geographical, geographical convenience. I think that if, if it was the top three and then a team of my choosing that got into the, into the Champions League, <laughs> that at least that would be clear for people. And that's what we want. We want clarity. And also it would mean the season wasn't, like the season, you know, we've got like two weeks left. The season's basically over. There's only one thing left to play for. And we, chances are that's going to go to a team that's been rubbish most of the year anyway. So, Do you remember that West Ham fan that is, who was so displeased with his team's performances, he stormed onto the pitch and planted a corner flag in the centre circle? <laughs> is that really the guy you want knocking at your door when his team miss out on a Champions I mean, League place? I, I imagine it would work more that people would offer me blandishments and... <laughs> and gifts to try and curry favour with me yes, Brian, in the Brian. style of a Roman emperor. <laughs> or a Russian premier, but it's, um, it's, for it's something for Perez and Agnelli to seriously think about. They made such a balls up of, of getting through what they wanted done. This is a, a viable alternative. Just needs a bit of PR. And, and I, I imagine that uh, most people would have uh, ignored this whole part of the conversation because they're still hung up on the idea that Rory wants to um, put Luke Ayling into an England squad, which is clearly bereft of right-backs currently. <laughs> as, as, <laughs> hey, Rory, why don't we in the future have some sort of conversation about how to construct a good major championship squad? That's, uh, that's certainly... I didn't say I'd take him to the Euros. I think he did. Luke Ayling is brilliant. But you can't have 14 right-backs in a team. This is, what, this is a conversation we will have in the future, and one we're very much looking forward to. Um, finally... From John Billingham, who's in McKinney, Texas, and he is responding to an appeal made in passing a few weeks ago by me on account of me being a lazy person. Dear pillars of set piece menu, your wait is over. Below is an initial stab at developing a reasonably complete and somewhat accurate list of buffaloes. In going back through the episodes, number 74 seems to be when the term buffalo is coined as someone who gets in touch regularly. Later, it was further defined as three plus contributions from a listener per hue. In at least one case, a listener is referred to as already being a buffalo, but I wasn't able to identify when he actually achieved that status. That said, I apologise for any errors and omissions in advance. As you probably suspect, the SPM research department is a shoestring operation wearing loafers. Any and all additions or corrections are appreciated. They should be directed to Stephen Wyeth at SPM Customer Care to tidy up the details. <laughs> Unbeknownst to him, he has graciously agreed to become the keeper of the list going forward. Clearly, he is the obvious choice, as I'm sure Hugh, Rory and Chinch will agree, mostly because it means they won't have to. Before proceeding to the list, two quick caveats. Number one, this is a work in progress and you get what you pay for. Number two, an audio format does not lend itself to the accurate spelling of names. Not everyone has the good sense to be named Smith. This is especially true when Hugh starts speaking quickly, as he is wont to do. If the pod thing doesn't work out, he should consider becoming a West Texas cattle auctioneer. Seriously, though... <laughs> I am sure the list includes misspellings. I trust you'll be able to identify the proper awardees. I, I, I will attempt to do so, and thankfully none of the uh, misspellings, John, will actually be at all clear because we remain an audio medium. Here, then, is the list chronologically by episode and approximate time. We won't be reading out the time, don't worry. Number 74 had both Harry Butler and Andy Fraser. So according to John, our first two buffaloes were Harry Butler and Andy Fraser. Number 75 uh, included Sean Ramachandran. 77 was John Nicholson. Our friend from Football 365. 79, Stephen Chicken. 85 was Jeff Bogle. 
who travelled all the way from Philadelphia to Manchester for our live show. Number 92, Guy Fraser. I think he was the guy that did our, does our Wikipedia pages. <laughs> Many accu- inaccuracies on that, <laughs> let alone all the spellings in this particular list from John. Number 92 also included Matt Durrant. Uh, 93 was Mark Cole. 94, Perrin Dixon. 116, Joe Highland. 126 was John Wood, not Huntington Beach. 145, Hal Getz. 146, Stephen Platt. 157, Mike at Victoria Guna, because I don't think we've ever known Mike's surname. His surname is Victoria Guna. His <laughs> name is indeed Victoria Guna. Uh, 165, Ray George. 174, Simon Bodsworth. 187, Chris Wilkerson. 188, Rich Reardon. 191, Sam Crocker, to whom uh, John adds, described as already a buffalo, don't know when. <laughs> Nor do we, John. <laughs> 192, Ewan Haig. 201, Colin Boucher. 217, John Wood, Huntington Beach. Not altogether sure. Roy said yes. Hugh said no. But 218... Question answered. Huntington Beach, John, is a buffalo. And number 228, last week, of course, Edward... No, two weeks ago, Edward Prolecki. Uh, this may well be a list containing a few discrepancies, said, says John, but it is at least a start. Perhaps there will be time to go back and get things straight during the next pandemic. For now, this will have to do. In the meantime, in the wise words of Chinch, carry on. Uh, that's from John. John extraordinary work if anybody would like to dispute what john has said uh, we do need the proof uh, so so do email us with a with an episode title a number and an exact time code uh, if you dispute uh, the exact <laughs> time <laughs> code. i'm not going to do it am i i'm going to wade through a whole people need to reevaluate their lives <laughs> if they're going to go back over all the episodes and verify what you've just said and the and the final thing to say is john has offered to actually upkeep the list steve so don't worry about it and he's going to have to make an immediate addition because ladies and gentlemen john billingham is our latest buffalo for doing well, that well deserved <laughs> Correspondence of any kind to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Now, as we prepare, in England at least, for the further loosening of COVID-based restrictions, several questions need to be answered, particularly if it brings with it the opportunity for gentlemen to leave the house to embark on some sort of social engagement, possibly even with the opposite sex. There are two stages to follow, two stages that you might not have followed for more than a year. And Manscaped can help you with both. Because support for Set Piece Menu is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Chinch, when was the last time that you both trimmed and sprayed uh 20 minutes ago the reason i ask is because i bring you that was while we were recording (laughs) oh we've been on air for 18 minutes are you even wearing trousers i'm doing it now like a newsreader it's the top half clothed bottom half the gloves are off (laughs) the gloves are off and your hands are also (laughs) not controlling something currently which makes me wonder about the accuracy of your trimming and this is the big news that i can now bring you manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Who knew smelling this good could feel this good too? Everyone knows that Manscaped has the perfect package 3.0 for all your below-the-waist grooming needs, but they didn't stop there. Complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. Light, approachable and gentlemanly in all the right ways. Think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you fresh and ready for anything. Calming and inviting, this signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling into the anchoring notes of vetiver and a woodsy masculine finish. Somebody Google vetiver. This 50 milliliter spray cologne is even hypoallergenic, cruelty-free, dye-free, paraben-free and 100% vegan. This beautifully designed glass bottle as well makes a statement and the manly 
lovely scent is attractive to set the mood. But what's the point of acing stage one when you've then neglected stage two? So to be sure to check out the Perfect Package 3.0 with all the essentials for your below-the-waist grooming needs, including the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer and crop formulations. It's starting to sound a little agricultural. Yes, I'm talking about <laughs> ball deodorant and toner to keep your testes their besties. And now you can use the new Manscaped Refined Cologne to complete your set and smell great anytime, anywhere. It is time to feel sexy. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code SPM at manscaped.com. That is 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code SPM. Look good, smell good, feel good with Manscaped. My God, Chinch is going to start answering the question, how are you today with my testes are feeling their besties. They've, they've, my, my testes have always been, they've looked good and smelt good for many, many years. It's one of, actually, it's probably my greatest attraction. I, do, I, don't, I don't know a lot about the audio medium or, or what makes podcasts successful, but I would suggest that talking about chin, a 50-year-old man's balls is probably not a broad, like... Just wait till you a, see them. A subject of broad appeal. Uh, which um, <laughs> allows the only man with any sort of control in this foursome to move on. Uh, last week, then, we talked about player pathways in response to a listener email. As it turned out, that listener email wasn't actually really about player pathways. It won't surprise you to learn that we really only realised that some way towards uh, the end of what was clearly to everyone apart from us the wrong discussion that we should probably uh, make amends. So here we are. The email from Chris Corkin offered us a Harry Kane-Jack Grealish conundrum. Leave the club of their hearts because their head is telling them love doesn't win you trophies, but are trophies the be-all and end-all anyway? There are tales of those who decided to move on, Alan Shearer or stay at Matt Letizia, their hometown clubs as they valued that connection over any silverware that might have been more forthcoming elsewhere. They are both considered legends of those clubs and within those communities. But are those decisions made in a bygone era, one that has been replaced by something more materialistic, both in terms of medals and money? Why should a player move? And if they've decided they will, where should they go and why? What should a player's priorities be when they are themselves considering their career pathway? I don't think I was thinking about this last week I don't think every trophy weighs equally to a player so if you think about Harry Kane who we will talk about along with Jack Grealish the, the kind of the the dominant logic is that Kane needs to win trophies that that a player of his gifts should not be marooned at Tottenham having to do make do with the occasional League Cup final and the occasional scrap for the get to get into the, to the Champions League where they might they might make the knockout rounds. They might even make a final, but they won't win. Um, but the, the thing is, if, if Kane were to move to PSG, he would probably win, you know, two, three French titles. Probably in two or three years, maybe in four, if, you know, if Lille or Monaco or whoever sort of beats them to, to one. But I don't think that, that if Harry Kane were to retire, he would rather have three league titles than being the all-time scorer the all-time leading story in the Premier League or just for Tottenham. I, I don't think that they would mean the same thing to him. So it's not, I don't think it's an absolute, I don't think it's the case that any trophy at all, if they all wanted to win trophies, would they not all go and sign for Molde in Norway? But I would have won, won four tipper leader. So, you know, I've got loads of medals in my cabinet. I think it's certain, it's certain teams, certain competitions and certain context that they're looking for. I don't think it's it's purely and simply, I want to win any trophy at all, any league championship, regardless of, of what it means to me. Because I don't think winning the French League would, would ultimately mean a huge amount to Harry Kane. I think it would be a step 
to trying to win the Champions League, which would make it a very different debate. Well, there is an interesting case in point immediately in with PSG currently. If you look at someone like Marco Verratti, who has won seven Liga titles already, there's probably at some point more to come. I think 26 trophies in all with PSG. Yeah, I think there's an interesting debate to be had as to, to how you would balance those out against what he might have won in a different country with another big club. It's not easy to quantify what you would be willing to exchange that level of trinkets for. But you would imagine that that the elite players do see a difference between winning a title in in Italy, Germany, Spain or England comparatively to to some of the other big European leagues. That's that's not not, not to question the motives of those players who, who, you know, because Neymar's just signed on again with PSG and he will accumulate even more silverware with them as a consequence. So it's not to question the motives in terms of that trophy accumulation, but there is an interesting discussion to be had about what each individual one is worth in the longer term. I, I, I just wonder whether we do need to kind of reassess what we consider football success to be. I think, Raw, you mentioned there about Harry Kane. What I don't know whether you use the word success, but what does maybe his career mean to him Mm-hmm. Is it you know happiness? Is it records? Is it money? Is it trophies? From the outside, well, I was very much on the inside. You weren't, but from the outside, you probably look in and say, well, players presumably want everything. Yeah, maybe a bit of happiness. They start at the club that they maybe supported, but ultimately in time they they do move on. They make more money. They break records, and then it's about trophies, 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 trophies. That's what that's what football is all about. But if Harry Kane and say Alan Shearer in making the decisions that they made, if they don't want that and they maybe want the happiness yes the money I might break records if they walk away from football not having won anything say Harry Kane should we then say oh your career, you've completely wasted your career completely wait whether it be a league on title a Premier League title a, a domestic trophy would we then be critical of him for saying you didn't make the best of your career if what he did suited him I think that there's a luxury with Alan Shearer because you have to consider that he moved to Newcastle having already won yeah. the Premier League yeah. title. So, uh, he, but in terms he, of moving, like Harry, kept moving or not moving, he probably knew his chances of winning things going to Newcastle would be less than the, the opportunities he'd, he'd had and, and what he'd won well, previously. So you kind of know whether you do or you don't go what your opportunities might actually lead to. Yes, less than perhaps going to Manchester United, which might have yeah. been the opportunity at the time, yeah. but having at least won something, I think that the, the interesting debate, and, and, and actually Alan Shearer comes into this as well, that somebody like... But that would have Harry, been part of his motivation thing. Well, I've won the Premier League title, so I can go and sign for my hometown club he, and I don't need to win anything else. No, so I, I think, think, it, I think winning you've got to remember with that... his hometown club would have yeah. been his motivation. Yeah, yeah. And, and hindsight has changed the Shearer move, because obviously now it looks ridiculous to turn down Manchester United for Newcastle, but at the time, Newcastle were probably the second or third best team in the country and that the logic was that signing Shearer would would sort of allow them to springboard past Manchester United it was it was the equivalent I guess of well you can understand why Newcastle wanted him but him wanting to sign for Newcastle but they you know it was they'd finished second I think two out of the last three years they they were the they were the other team they were the other force this was it was pre-Vendor Arsenal it was pre-Chelsea it was Liverpool were still kind of knocking about but they weren't nearly as consistent it would be the equivalent I guess we 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 think of it now the Shearer move as the equivalent of turning down Manchester City to sign for what Southampton someone like that because you're a Southampton fan because that's what Newcastle are to us now whereas at the time it was probably the equivalent of, of turning down Man City to sign for Manchester United. 
Manchester United. I would, I'd say maybe Liverpool <laughs> more than than well, maybe not Liverpool because they've won a title recently. Turning down Man United to sign for Chelsea or Arsenal, maybe. And that's not nearly as ridiculous. And I think that that that, that perspective is quite often lost when Shearer's held up. As Hugh said, he'd already won the lead. Shearer didn't go through his career not winning anything. But also, he it wasn't absurd to turn down Man United for Newcastle when he did it. And just to pick up on Rory's point about hindsight, the other benefit that we get from that with Shearer is that that was in the early stages of the Premier League era before we got into the situation of Manchester United players in particular, Arsenal players and, and Chelsea more latterly to a lesser extent, winning multiple mm. Premier League titles. When Alan, when Alan Shearer won his first Premier League title, Ryan Giggs had won two. Giggs went on to subsequently win 11. If Shearer had known the success that Manchester United were going to have after he'd made his decision, would he have looked at it differently? We, we can't... We can't uh, I've won the Premier League. No one can take that away from me. Now I've got a chance to go and be a legend with my hometown club. And, and he went on to, to break individual records and he's got a statue outside the stadium so that you would suggest it more than justifies the decision but he made that decision before we got into the realms of players at the club that he turned down in particularly going on to accumulate double figures worth of Premier League title. Yeah, and to an extent that the amount of success we associate with being actual success now has, has been completely distorted by the Super Club era. Th this idea that Marco Verratti has won 26 trophies. Maxwell won 39, I think. He's the most... Him and Danny Alves are the most decorated players in football history. And Alves won, obviously won a lot of stuff with, with Barcelona and then latterly with Juventus. Maxwell won everything with Ajax or PSG and picked up this, this sort of insane number of trophies. And in the mid-90s, I mean, I guess you'd had Liverpool's dominance in England for, you know, between, what, 70, the early 70s and the late 80s, Liverpool had been pretty much dominant and they'd won 10 league titles or whatever it was. But you, you didn't have this, like, industrial-scale collection of trophies. But the other thing that I think is really interesting about Shearer and Kane, and Kane said this a couple of weeks ago, that... that and it, it speaks to a logic that, that holds within football, that individual awards don't matter. And look, when it comes to the, like the FIFA, the best award, I kind of get that. Although I, I, I think that's changing as well. I think a lot of, of the current generation of players are obsessed with winning those big individual awards, the Ballon d'Or and the, the, the FIFA best award. But if you think about Shearer, the, first, the, content, the context in which Alan Shearer is mentioned most often is that of the, the all-time leading Premier League goalscorer. That is a much more enduring fame than picking up a league title, the odd league title for pretty much every team. It, it, it will be different in certain contexts. So if this Liverpool team never win another trophy, which given their performances this season is reasonably likely, <laughs> that they will all be remembered for the, for the two trophies they did win, the Premier, or the two big trophies they did win, the, the Premier League and the, the Champions League. That's probably enough in that context for those players to be considered legends. At, at, Man at Manchester United, yeah, to, to compete with with that team, that the, the kind of core of the Fergie team, you probably need to, the first Fergie team, you probably need to win multiple trophies. But equally, you know, whoever at Man City or Chelsea wins the Champions League, there'll be players in this Chelsea squad who might never win another trophy, certainly for Chelsea, except for the Champions League this season. And that would be enough because it's the Champions League. So I, 
I think we we run the risk of assuming that that every tro winning every trophy confers some sort of not just sort of legendary status, but like some level of satisfaction, and that winning individual accolades doesn't. I don't know whether it would be better. Would it be better for Harry Kane to finish his career as the all-time leading goal scorer in the Premier League, or to pick up one Premier League title with Manchester City? Well, I, I you, suspect you, it's the you've former. answered that question about Shearer, haven't you? He'd be in the same boat as Shearer, basically winning something, a major competition, but also having that individual record will stand the test of time more than the actual trophy. He won. Well, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know if that's true because if you can be the all-time leading Premier League scorer until somebody becomes the all-time Premier League scorer to beat mm -hmm. that record, so it it doesn't necessarily endure. Yes, it endures beyond. Um, the trophies in terms of it is one person as opposed to mm -hmm. the thousands of people who have won a Premier League trophy over the course of the last 30 years. But there is a sense, is there not, that you have, yes, great pride in being conferred the all-time Premier League scorer. But if Harry Kane takes that off it, then Alan Shearer just becomes the former all-time and then suddenly these things yeah, but it's taken, tend to become... I take yes, your point, yes, but, but it's but, taken t 25 years or whatever. We're like talking it's... about a player's motivation and a player's motivation cannot be set for something that is completely intangible and something that will not necessarily endure and they have no control over. But if you do win a trophy, that is set in stone and you cannot have that taken away from you. The interesting thing with that individual target though is that, that firstly I, I think it, it it does endure even if you eventually are overtaken yeah. because when others are in pursuit of it your name is constantly mentioned you know whenever Harry Kane scores a goal he's edging closer to Alan Shearer's tally and in the future if say Mason Greenwood has has a long and illustrious career we will be talking about him Closing in on first Harry Kane, well, closing in on Wayne Rooney, Harry Kane, Alan Shearer. That those names will keep coming up in conversation for decades to come as players go in pursuit of those those individual accolades. But the thing with with that is that it's an incredibly fragile basket to put all of your eggs into. That's true. And so, so Harry Kane has a has a difficult decision to make in terms of I have the opportunity to, like Alan Shearer, have a statue outside of the ground to spend a majority of my career playing for one club and to become the all-time leading goalscorer in Premier League history, maybe in English top flight history. However, if I move to Manchester City, I'm more or less, if I spend five or six seasons with them, guaranteeing myself three Premier League titles the goal-scoring accolade may come still. More fact, likely to come. More, likely, yeah, to more come, likely to come, yeah. Barring injury. But equally, you know, he, he plays 10 games a season for Manchester City, he gets a medal. If he, if he spends 20-odd games sideline through injury, still gets a medal, isn't going to reach the goal target. So surely those are things that players need to quantify. You know, we, we talk a lot about it being a, a short career, a, a volatile career. You know, you, you're one bad tackle away from it coming to an end so it, it does it that that must that must be what makes it in you know a really a really tough situation I'm not I don't feel sorry for Harry Kane but well that's why I was blessed to be a very kind of inept footballer I didn't yes. have all these decision, major Jim. issues to contend with do you, do you think though that the, the key word in what Steve just said which is all completely right is guarantee that if you go to you know now if you're a top class player if you go to a select group of maybe one two three four maybe six teams maybe seven you're you're gonna get 
a couple of domestic titles. You don't, you're going to get a shot at the Champions League at least once, maybe twice. If you sign for Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern, Juve, PSG, City, possibly Chelsea, you're going to end up in contention for those trophies. And just because of the law, the, the law of averages, you don't, you don't, you're going to get a few. Does that guarantee of it, does the, that fact that the, the fact that things are so weighted in your favour, does that devalue the achievement? I think that's the core of it, that if you go, if Harry Kane signs for Manchester City, he will win multiple Premier League titles, of course, and, and he will deserve them, and Man City will deserve them, and there's, I'm not saying for a second that they should mean anything less to their fans, but because it is, it is that simple a formula, does that mean that in some way the achievement means a little bit less to the players? Is, is that actually something in favour of saying, I want to see if I can stick around and win something with with this club for whom winning is not a guarantee? It's different for someone like Grealish, who's at a club that are not going to win the Premier League. We'll come to Greed because you're right. Grealish is, is different. He's younger and he's he's not going to win the Premier League at Aston Villa necessarily. And also he isn't already established as one as the one of the greatest strikers in Premier League history and, and all that sort of stuff. To, to park Grealish just for a second, we'll come to Steve in a moment. But the, it's it's about the element of guarantee, isn't it? As you both rightly say, that, that you are balancing the guarantee of going to a club like Manchester City or Manchester United or Chelsea and, and winning something against the guarantee that you require to make the move in the first place. So yes, it might be lessened in terms of when you're there and you have won it. But if you're at that pivotal moment where you are deciding whether you want to follow path A or path B and path B guarantees you trophies, is that not the exact reason why you leave? Because otherwise there's no point in leaving. Because if there's no guarantee, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't bother because it's not attractive enough, appealing enough for you to to cut your ties with a club that you grew up with and, and love more than other, others? Well, let's, let's ask Chinch. Chinch, you won an FA Cup for a team that oh, were not, boy, ex- did I. Yeah. That were not expected yeah, yeah. to big win an time, FA Cup. Big time. Do you think that players... Well, by the time the final came around, we were expected to win that, I, I reckon. Not, not, if, not by anyone who'd seen the team sheet. <laughs> the... A certain name and number on the team sheet, yeah. Yeah, had people vomiting into their, onto their betting slips. Carry on. Ride out nine. <laughs> I <I've> imagine... <laughs> I'm imagining down in the tunnel as they were reading out the team. They, they appear to have picked two left-backs. They're not taking this terribly seriously. Ah, oh, but one of them was incredibly versatile. Gary Ablett was an excellent player. Anyway, the, the question... Do you, think players, do you think players care? Do you think players just think, I, want, I will go to that club and win trophies and that will mean that that is the only meaning I require is reading greater meaning to it something that we do on the outside it's a really if Harry Kane becomes the all-time Premier League top scorer and he does it for Tottenham clearly that will carry more weight than if he does it for Man City because people will say well you were playing for Man City and the team that they were the chances they create you still got to score all these goals but yeah it's in, that's the first time I've really thought about that concept is actually well, if you're Premier League all-time top scorer that's just incredible but who you do it with is, is the major story. And if he does it with Tottenham, just as Shearer did the bulk of it with Newcastle, not the greatest team in the land, not winning everything as well as all the goals going in. But sure, surely Harry Kane, again, that's the thing. Is he, is he happy? Does he want to be that Tottenham player? Or does he want to, again, go where the guarantee is, go where people expect him to go? And then maybe people say, ah, well, yeah, that was the, the easy choice was to go to Man City. And it's no surprise you've won Premier League titles and Champions Leagues and you've broken. So will it kind of, in a way, lessen and soften the achievement? If let's presume that he does do this and he does break the record. If he does it playing six years at Man City, will people say, 
it does kind of soften the achievement a little bit. I don't, I, I don't know whether it would, whether people would say that, but I do wonder whether he would feel. Does it not? Is it not? So is that a, more, a driving force not to do it? To think well. Well, yeah, kind of. Like, is it not? Does that not make it much more transactional? Like, I've I've signed. I've drawn from Tottenham, the club I support, and the club where I built my built my name. Blah blah blah. blah to Manchester City because the trade-off is that I will give them their goals and they will give me trophies. It just becomes a transaction. And yeah. I don't know, but I don't know how much players think like that. I don't know whether that's something that enter, enters their thought process. Okay, how about this then? How about this hypothetical situation? Harry Kane has a choice. He moves to Manchester City and guarantees himself those three Premier League titles. And he probably will break the Premier League goal-scoring record, but it's not given because... He might not play as often because of the huge mm. depth in squad and tactical tweaks and what have you. Or he remains at Tottenham, breaks the goals, Premier League goal-scoring record, gets a statue and wins an FA Cup. And is the, the what at the end of his career has been the only Tottenham captain for three or four decades to lift a trophy. Which of those two scenarios does he take? But there's, there's no guarantee... No, Tottenham. I'm offering him that now. Yeah, the, the guarantee you're staying at a club that you, you love and will revere you. If he stopped playing now, they'd probably put a statue up to him. So again, mm. but the other stuff's not guaranteed, is it? If that's, no, what his, if that's what his motivation... So if you can guarantee it, but you can't, can you? That's the thing with City. You can get with Tottenham. You can't say they're going to win an FA Cup and they're going to create the chances for him to break the all-time Premier League goal-scoring record. There's no I guarantee of that at Tottenham. Chinch, but, I'm, I'm, I'm hypothetically offering. I've peered into my crystal ball. Yeah, but it's, it, it's hypothetical. I agree. Off. It's great, but it's it's never uh, ever ever going to happen. So let's just let's just forget Chinch, talking about I, it. I would say in that situation, <laughs> that... situation's never going to happen. Yeah, carry on. Well, uh, so Chinch is Chinch is reaching for his dictionary <laughs> to, to get the definition. No, I understand. I know, but it's just hang on. Come on. If we were to, yes, it's hype. But Harry <laughs> Kane must be thinking. He's not thinking. You know what? If I can stay here and win an event. He must know that that is the likelihood of that is. Do you know what? Right. Change, no, no, no. Change. How about this? Hang on. Wait, no, wait, no. wait, 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 right. We're we're about to find out a little bit later in this podcast how far into the depths of fantasy <laughs> Inch is able to reach. Yet me suggesting to him that Harry Kane, we can guarantee him an FA Cup at some point in the next fifteen years. He's not having it. So how about this, Chinch? There are two players. Yes. One is called. So I've just prolonged Harry Kane's career by quite a few years by saying fifteen. <laughs> Sorry. One is called Harold Can, and he has spent his entire team, <laughs> his entire career at Tottenham, yeah. where he has the team he supported as a boy, yes, and where he, he has become the all-time Premier League goal, goal scorer, record holder, and FA Cup winner. That is Harold Can's <laughs> career path. And where's there he doing a, this? Just hypothetically. That's at Tottenham. Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham. Never Tottenham. Ha- Tottenham Hatspur. <laughs> <laughs> There is a second player who left Tottenham Hatspur. Uh, he's called Howard Khan. And Howard Khan. Surely it's Howard Kant after Howard Can. Yeah, all right. Howard Kant. And he left his. No, that feels like that feels pejorative. Um, okay. Howard Kant. This, this, this striking partnership of Con and Can, was it? It's been broken up. That's because <laughs> one's left, right? Howard Khan also became. It's a parallel universe thing. It's the darkest timeline thing. Um. The how Howard Kahn also became the Premier League top scorer, but he left Tottenham to sign for Manchester City, where he won three Premier League titles. But he feels no emotional bond to Manchester City. Which player do you think is more satisfied with their choice? Is uh, uh, sorry, the, the Tottenham thing. Mm. They're, they're both. They love Tottenham. The pair of them, do they? They both love Tottenham. They love Tottenham. They love so, Tottenham. Ah, that's a really good hypothetical question, <laughs> which again I think carries a little bit more weight. I can, I can see. 
see what you're doing there, Steve. Oh, so did you, did very, you, very badly. Did you need uh, some named names to get on board with it? <laughs> that's it. That's what swung me. What's wrong with you? Who would have you the, more, who would have the, the most value? Who would have the most value? That, but so they're both the Premier League all-time leading scorers, are they? In parallel yeah, universes. It's a, par- it's a parallel universe thing. Can you see the problem I'm having here? Um, Not really. I've got lots of problems, actually. Which which career has the most value? Which player would take? No, no, no. Which player would take most satisfaction winning a trophy, mm. one single trophy, minor trophy, mm. with your hometown club, or winning lots and lots of trophies with a team that you feel no particular affection for, and that you have drawn to purely to win trophies? Can I do both in a third no. universe? Chinch, you do appreciate we've all got places to be. <laughs> Sorry. Can and come play from together. I've got to speak to Roberto Firmino in four hours. I'm not entirely So what's the sure answer? What, what's the answer? What's your well, answer to I that? Th- I think maybe what it... It may be... This is really unsatisfactory. I think it maybe depends a little bit on your personality. That I've got to admit, to me, I think it sounds more appealing to win that one trophy with the club where that trophy would mean a lot. And we've got... Look, this, we're not really meant to do this because it dates the, the podcast, but this is FA Cup final week. And I think part of the problem is that we... We, we think of trophies as having a set value, but they don't. So winning the FA Cup would mean one thing to Chelsea, but it would mean an entirely different thing to Leicester. Mm-hmm. And that that has some sort of weight. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think to Spurs winning the FA Cup after what? It, it was 2008, their last trophy, 91 was the last FA Cup. Um, to Spurs, if Kane was the player to, who led them to one FA Cup, but also he had the, the kind of the benefit of being the leading scorer in the club's history and potentially the leading scorer in Premier League history. I think that would probably, uh, to me, if, 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 if I was in that position, that would outweigh to me the idea of going somewhere else and winning lots of league titles in, in that faintly transactional manner. It's certainly abroad. I, I, you know, as much as I'm an ardent watcher of European football, I, d- I, d- I think it would be ridiculous to pretend that Harry Kane grew up dreaming of winning the Bundesliga. I think the players are at PSG and Bayern to an extent judge we've seen this at Juve this season who collapsed completely because they don't really have a chance in the Champions League and they're they've sort of drifted into this existential ennui Thierry ennui and they they the the league it's hard for them to get up for, for league games because they don't really care about Serie A and I think it would be the same if if Kane were to go right I want to win I want to win the Champions League where is the best place for me to win the Champions League Bayern Munich is probably the the safest bet to win the Champions League over the next five years that doesn't offend Spurs fans. Um, I don't think winning the Bundesliga would mean a huge amount to him. I think he'd rather win the FA Cup once for Spurs than win five Bundesliga in a row with Bayern. And I think that to an extent that might be true of Man City as well, that that the, it breaks that emotional bond that you have with the game. It, it changes the why of, of why you're doing it. And that is a big, that's a big call that we don't necessarily take, ser- take into consideration enough. It's different for someone like Grealish. There, there are plenty of players in, 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 in a Harry Kane situation that have played the first 10 years of their professional club at the, the club that they grew up with who are able to establish another emotional bond, not quite as deep, but still meaningful with a club that they join. There are plenty of examples of that. So that we shouldn't rule out Harry Kane, sorry, uh, Howard Conn's ability to, <laughs> to, to potentially have enough uh, kind of, uh, what would you say, emotional capacity to be able to love yeah, but his I'm, new club. Oh, I'm, I'm sure, sure he would. I'm sure he would love that. Allow him to value that 
that secondary part of his career it's just it's not again it's not a zero sum game yeah. it's not a talk sporting of the argument you can love both and appreciate both even if you've decided to go path a rather than path b except that i think at the stage that kane is at now and the type of club he wouldn't to be fair it would be different if he signed for man united if harry kane went to man united and became the the striker who glued all of that together and delivered man united's first title in well, i suppose it would be nine years that that's a different thing that that has a kind of resonance i think if you go and join the, the team that are the best team in the country probably the best team in europe almost certainly the best team in europe who are going to win the premier league probably three times out of the next five four times out of the next five five times out of the next five and you just happen to be another cog in the wheel i think that's different to go into a team like united where you could be the player who delivers the premier league title back to old trafford i i feel that that is a little bit more it's more that meaningful, it's more, it's more well, meaningful yeah, more staying meaningful. at Tottenham or going to United than going to City. Yeah, basically, this is going to get me in trouble, isn't it? But yeah, basically, I yeah. think at this, because City, it was, again, it was different when City were the coming force, then, then you could see the appeal of becoming part of that team. But I think going to a dominant team and just con- helping them to continue to be dominant, I think has less relative merit, mm-hmm. less, less intrinsic worth than going to a, a team that's challenging and pushing them over the line. Maybe that's, maybe that's where I'm coming from. But again, I don't know if players think like that. Now, that's, that's a really interesting point because Harry Kane could move to Manchester City and not even be their best striker of the Premier League era. Yeah. Because that would remain Sergio Aguero. Whereas he could go to Manchester United and yes, he, he might not be their greatest player of the Premier League era, but he would become the heir to Eric Cantona as the final piece of the puzzle that re-established them as a force. Yeah. So yeah, they, 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 they're really, even in the, even as you envy elite level footballers, that is an enviable decision that at some point you might have to make. So we've teased the Grealish aspect of this um, a couple of times. Jack Grealish is different. He is younger. He's at a team not at the level of uh, Tottenham Hotspur, or, although Aston Villa have had a very good year, so we must put it in that context. And they've had a very good year, partly because he decided to stay this season when he might have left at the end of last season. So wh- what, how is it different for Jack Grealish? And what, what therefore makes the decision easier to take, perhaps, for somebody at that age at that club? I suppose the complication for for Kane is that is the level that Spurs are at that it's not entirely unthinkable that he might end up with a couple of trophies if he stays at Spurs. Whereas I think Grealish can look at it and think that it's possible that Villa will win a cup. They've you know they've been to a League Cup final. Then they're not going to challenge for the league. They're not going to play in the Champions League. He is a player of sufficient talent that he will want to play in the Champions League. But even then, I don't think it's an I don't think it's a straightforward thing. Jack Grealish is a proper Villa fan. He's not a player who's who got contracted to Villa as an as an eight-year-old having had no sort of affiliation. He he stood on the whole end. He's 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 from a family of Villa fans. He he is kind of the biggest, he's the king of his city, effectively. He's the he's the king of Birmingham because he's a he's a he's a brummy kid who's captain of Aston Villa. He is to an extent living his childhood dream. So I don't think it's a straightforward thing, but I think there is the the, the difference maybe is there is the compelling argument for Grealish that he will want to play in the Champions League, which Kane has already done. Kane's been to a Champions League final. Grealish will want to play in the Champions League and that maybe will be the the thing that swings the balance in the favour of moving to United or to City or to Chelsea or wherever, because he wants to, not necessarily just to win trophies, because I think for Grealish, without question, that winning the FA Cup with Aston Villa would mean more than winning the Premier League with with Manchester City. Um, But he will want to play at the highest level and Villa 
can't realistically afford him that opportunity in the next five years, which will encompass the peak of his career. Is, is, if Grealish was to stay at Aston Villa, that he becomes known as a player of great loyalty and a player who takes great pride in the club that gave him his chance. And he's another who gets a statue and will probably break all sorts of club-related records, which will mean an awful lot to him. And those would be all commendable and admirable. But I suppose he then does become one of those players that you talk about as not having fulfilled their potential in terms of the success. So do we look at him like Matt Letizia? You know, are, we, yeah. are, are we critical of Matt Letizia? Do you think, not cowardice is the wrong word, but what, what, again, if you're happy and you're comfortable and you, you want to be where, and that's where you feel best placed... Is that is it wrong if Grealish were to stay and want to stay at Villa? If Letizia wanted to stay at Southampton, are we? Do we look back on Letizia and think he was? I, we cannot believe that he did what he did with the talent he had. I'm slightly baffled by why nobody, as far as I know, went to Letizia and said, "Look, you are brilliant. You are arguably the most talented player in the Premier League. You you should really be going to a bigger club and seeing what you can do to get the most out of your talent." I I'm I'm a little bit surprised that Letizia. I get why he stayed at Southampton. I get the comfort he was in. I get the fact that he he wasn't like a great trainer. He wasn't. I don't think he was driven like someone like Beckham. I don't think he had that same inner drive. I think he just liked playing football. He liked playing football for Southampton, and they let him do what they built the team around him. They let him do what he wanted. He didn't have to work. I get all that. That's exactly the sort of player I'd have been. But I am surprised that no one, you know, if you think about all those all those players that Ferdy tried to sign, like Gazza and Shearer and, and all that. I'm really surprised that Ferdy didn't look at Letizia and think I could I could really do something with you because Letizia was was good enough without question to play at that level. I think Letizia guess... has has spoken though in in recent years about how close he came to joining Tottenham and Chelsea. I think Tottenham was the right. one in particular that they thought that that had been done, and he pretty he had he had to call Terry Venables. I think was the manager at the time, picked up the phone to to Terry Venables and had an awkward conversation where he had to explain that he changed his mind and it wasn't going to happen. Mm. So I, I think Venables at Tottenham and Hoddle at Chelsea both came pretty close to persuading him yeah. that it was, they could do something with him and they, they could fit him into their plans. And, and it was just that, that comfort of being a Southampton player, which ultimately led to him, deciding he wasn't and, willing to make it. But equally, like, just, just on, on Letizia, though, Matt Letizia is more revered now, famous is the wrong word, but more revered now because he stayed than he would have been had he gone to Manchester United and been an option who played in three Premier League winning teams. Which is exactly the reason why he did it, because that factored into his thinking more and, and had more weight than, than the alternatives that we've been speaking about. But also, I think at the time he, he was at his peak and playing well because Alan Ball, the manager at the time in the mid 90s, had, had essentially reworked the team to get the best out of him. Yeah. Whereas managers before that had done the old 4-4-2 rigid, rigid structure into which he did not fit and he was uncomfortable hence thinking about potentially leaving but then it taken him so long to get that kind of freedom at the club that he wanted to be at that perhaps he thought I'm I'm risking that by leaving so yes it was a I want to stay thing but it was also potentially hang on a minute um my my sizable fish in that those waters might not necessarily work out for me but also there's there's a difference between signing for the the Chelsea of Hoddle and the Spurs of Venables and 
something for Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. And partly, it's the, I guess what that shows is the is the way the way that football has changed, the coalescing of talent. That yes, yeah, Spurs and Chelsea would have been vague contenders to win stuff in the nineties. They weren't. They weren't. They, you know, they weren't competing with with Manchester United and Newcastle to win leads. And to, for all that, like Liverpool's nineteen nineties are, are derided as these years in the wilderness. Liverpool put together, I think, three proper title challenges in the nineties, which is more than either Spurs or Chelsea. So they weren't necessarily the the dominant. They weren't a guarantee of trophies. He wouldn't have moved to Spurs or, or Chelsea thinking, "I'm definitely going to win stuff." Whereas if if Grealish goes to City he can guarantee not only that he'll be in the Champions League, but that he will get trophies. And that didn't that that just didn't exist in the nineties. The, the the final point I want to bring up is is where does international football sit in, in this whole equation? Because for somebody like Harry Kane, he may well consider that brand Harry Kane staying at Spurs and not winning anything, but being high up or leading eventually the Premier League scoring charts isn't the thing that he's necessarily remembered for outside of North London. He might do well as an England captain lifting a major trophy, potentially even going beyond Wayne Rooney's mark of the international uh, goal scoring. So for Harry Kane, is he thinking wider than just his club situation? Could that be applied to Jack Grealish as well? Because you could stay at Aston Villa for the whole of your career. It doesn't matter because I, I want from that a different kind of satisfaction. If I'm talking about achieving and achieving to the sense that the, that the trophy means something, that might be what you achieve on the international stage. And therefore, they're balancing these two things yeah. up and thinking that the, the club situation could be an emotional decision and you, you fight for all the kind of the materialistic stuff at the international level. Well, just firstly, with, with Grealish is that he's probably more likely to win a trophy with Aston Villa than Letizia was with Southampton. So that, mm. that, that's a little bit where the comparison falls down. It, Grealish in, in international football is going to get the occasional cap. He's going to be in the squad on a regular basis. He's going to be in and around the conversation. If he's doing what he does for Aston Villa, for a top four club in the Champions League, then he's more or less guaranteed regular international football so that has to be that has to be part of the thought process if international football is an ambition of his to the point where he would be willing to leave his hometown his boyhood club to get it but it's also not just international football isn't it in terms of your country it's continental football with your club the the deciding factor for Harry Kane might be regarding Tottenham and whether to leave, whether or not they suddenly find themselves in a situation where those top four finishes that he has become used to are no longer as much of a guarantee as he'd perhaps been lulled into believing. As, as, I don't want to give anything away. I've sp- I spoke to Harry Kane a couple of weeks ago, and he would, from what he said, you'll read all about it in the New York Times uh, before the Euros, I think England is, is his absolute priority. I think England is the thing where he thinks he can he can seal his legacy rather than I think that that is what he that thinking is part of his equation is it, it matters less what he wins at club level if he wins a major trophy with England mm-hmm. that that for him ranks above everything else 
which is, I mean, I didn't know you, you, you got that nugget out of him or that sense out of him, um, but it was the reason why I brought it up because it was also a point of difference between him and, him and Alan Shearer. And whilst it, international football mattered to Shearer, he curtailed his international career in order to try and achieve the success that he wasn't yet getting with Newcastle. Uh, so, yes, there, there, there is always a balance. There you go, Chris Cork, and we got there eventually, uh, some seven weeks after you uh, asked us to talk about that. Um, so thank you for, for your uh, subject suggestions as ever. Just don't necessarily guarantee, there's that word again, that we'll get to it straight away. Now, it is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. And that What a Soccer Story should have at least seven exclamation marks after <laughs> it this time. This is when Andy tells the tale from his playing or broadcasting days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Chinch, would you like to, as previewed last week, tell us yeah. what special offering you have for us today? Well, from this podcast, what we can take is I clearly like hypothetical conundrums. Uh, I love unless I, unless I propose them. Unless you propose them, then they're nonsense. Uh, I love Cornish pasties, but I adore literary pastiches. They really do drive me on every single day. So what we have here, what we have here, people, is the world premiere of No Substitute, a Jack Reachcliffe novella, soon to be a major, a major motion picture in brackets. Uh, the cast of thousands, the cast of four. Uh, the narrator, Andrew Hinchcliffe. Uh, Mikhail Dinsky is Hubert Ferentino. Reacher himself, the one and only Stephen Wyeth. And the seductive, sexy and alluring Carla Dixon is to be played by Roderick Smith. Are you three ready? Is yes. the world ready for Maybe. no substitute? Here we go. The leather sphere gleamed white and bright in the late Midland sunshine. It was a size five soccer ball, inert, with garish blue and red flashes and branded with a black sporting logo. The logo was the Premier League badge, the greatest soccer competition in the world, it was said. The Nike strike ball sat proud on the pitch's lush green grass, slightly left of centre, 22 yards from goal, 20.11 meters, 0.0125 miles, no distance at all. Exactly where Jack Reachcliffe wanted it. <laughs> Astride the ball, he faced his target. A 24-foot wide, 8-foot high, brilliant white staple embedded in the Aston Villa FC turf. Reachcliffe smiled. This was his territory. This was going to be easy. Tonight, the 110th MP soccer team will be celebrating a famous victory, clinking cold beers in frosted mugs in the local Weatherspoon sports bar. No doubt about that at all. Soccer had always been in Reachcliffe's destiny. It was in his blood. His father, Stan, had been a tough, mulleted midfield enforcer, firstly for the United of Leeds in England, then in clubs all over Europe and the world. Reachcliffe, his older brother Joao and his mother trailed in Stan's wake like the exhaust fumes of a Taurus KEPD-350 surface-to-air missile. He spent his childhood drifting from continent to continent, country to country, from luxury high-rise apartments to gaudy five-bedroom muck-tudor mansions. It was no life for a growing teenager, certainly not one as restless as Jack Reachcliffe. At six foot six, his brother Joao was an inch taller than him, but Reachcliffe was heavier and had much wider shoulders and freakishly longer arms, like an aggressive 16-year-old testosterone-fueled Siaman Gibbon. Bullies <laughs> at numerous expensive private schools had attempted to scare the brothers, 
and no splattering headbutt here, a testicle crushing kick to the groin there, and the problems just melted away. Hurting bad people felt good to Reachcliffe. That feeling had never left him. At 18 years old, Reachcliffe was already a giant. Due to his size, he started soccer life as a goaltender, who was soon shunted upfield, employed as a rampaging striker, mobile and with a good touch for a big man. Leading the line, rallying the troops, ragdolling defenders suited Reachcliffe's particular talents. His career meandered from Germany to Spain to Lancashire, from Bayern to Betis to Burnley, before he joined the 110th MPs in the January transfer window. It felt like coming home. Reachcliffe snapped back to the present as a small, balding figure in an ill-fitting purple jersey and billowing black shorts <laughs> swam into view on his left, a sleek chrome whistle close to his cracked, dry lips. It was the soccer match's referee, Mikhail Dinsky, an odious individual, a man who used refereeing to exert the control he was denied in civilian life, a big girl's blouse. <laughs> Reachcliffe made a slow 90-degree turn and squared up to him. At five foot five, the law enforcer had to look way up to meet the striker's ice blue eyes. Taking the kick sometime today would be good, Reachcliffe, before we all get old and die. Reachcliffe said nothing, counted to five, nice and slow, breathed in and out, in and out, long, deep lungfuls of cool September air. You ever played soccer, Deansky? Deansky was thrown off balance with the question, confused and wary, the pale vastness of his forehead furrowed with surprise and uncertainty. No, no, no I didn't. Had a bad knee injury that stopped me dead. Soccer dodged a bullet there. And if you talk to me like that again, I'll shove that shiny whistle right up your bony, wirral ass. Normally Deansky would brandish a yellow card for that type of abusive language, standard punishment. But not here, not now. A nightmare vision of a freshly showered Reachcliffe breaking all of his fingers one by one post-match behind the stadium made him shudder. Hard to book someone with hands like bunches of broken bananas. Backing away, hands up in supplication, Deansky said, Please take the kick, Jack, whenever you like. Totally up to you in your own time. Reachcliffe didn't reply. He turned back to the ball and formed a triangular huddle with two of his sexier female teammates. Reachcliffe stood facing north, flame-haired Carla Dixon to the east, Francis L. Neagley to the west, but slightly further away from Reachcliffe than Dixon. <laughs> Neagley was an uncompromising defender, a live and speedy centre-back. She had a problem with her proximity to others. Touching her was completely out of the question. Some childhood trauma. This caused problems with head coach Leon Garber's man-for-man -man marking at set plays, but she made up for it in other ways. She was from the Martin Keown School of Defending. The former Arsenal FC man had brillo pad hair and a face that looked like he'd been on fire and put out with a frying pan. Not a pretty boy, but he was the master of the defensive dark arts and neagly followed his teachings religiously. Foot stamps and sharp elbows in the ribs got the message across. No one crowded Francis L. Neagley if they valued their manhood. Dixon was a diminutive but curvaceous midfield pivot and had played hard, covering a little over five miles in the game. She arrived at the powwow breathing heavily. Her ample breasts rose and fell, rose and fell. Outstanding, Reachcliffe thought. Hands on hips, she licked her lips and admired Reachcliffe's full length. 
his quivering calves up past his immense quads, short straining to contain the giant muscles over his mobile snake hips onto the broad slab of his chest, finishing at his dirty blonde tousled hair atop rugged features. Just magnificent. He made Cristiano Ronaldo look like a potato with eyes. Fill me in, Reachcliff. What's the idea? <laughs> Where are you planning to stick it, big guy? Reachcliff grinned. He imagined slowly peeling off her skin-tight desert storm pattern soccer jersey in the post-match showers. Imagine the powerful water jets pummeling their aching bodies, naked and primed both glistening with foaming raspberry shower gel. I'm going to drill this mother right into the top hole. Hard and fast and smooth. Is that okay with you, Carla? Dixon bit her collagen-enhanced lip. Damn right it was. Neagley and Dixon nodded to each other and stepped away as the clock in Reachcliff's head ticked to 440 BST. From that point on, things got real easy. Hours on the practice pitch and in the Fort Irwin gymnasium had honed his skills to perfection. Martinez, the giant Aston Villaresi goaltender, had proved effective this season. A big barrier, agile, confident. But today his clean sheet was going to end up heavily stained. Positively filthy. Right here, right now. Reachcliff could promise him that. He went through his set play ritual like a trained marine laying prone, looking through a Genesis Hunter 30mm scope on a Barrett M82 sniper rifle loaded with 9mm parabellums. The outcome was inevitable. It was physics, aerodynamics, air and leather and distance and speed and trajectory. A defensive wall had formed intended to block the ball's path to goal. Did Mings and Watkins and Little McGinn really believe that would stop him? Like hell it would. Reachcliff would use their walls to his advantage. The goaltender would be totally unsighted until the ball cleared the wall. Way too late to react. Two goaltenders wouldn't stop what Reachcliff had planned. A shrill blast of Dinsky's metal whistle pierced the quiet. Reachcliff took a final long deep breath and stepped forward. Showtime. Six foot five, 230 pounds of unified power and precision. His left instep caressed the ball and it arced up and over Mings's cowering head at frightening speed and flew unerringly into Martinez's top left-hand corner. Unstoppable. Unsavable. Easy as key lime pie. The goal scored the game one. Reachcliff was mobbed by joyful comrades. They hung off his gargantuan biceps, clambered on his back, hung around his vast veiny neck. <laughs> Carla Dixon tugged at the drawstring of his shorts with her teeth. Plenty of time for that later car, Reachcliff thought. <laughs> Only Neagley held back, offered a firm handshake from a distance. Six feet away, Reachcliff estimated. 72 inches. 1,828 millimeters. Typical Neagley. He strode across the Villa Park turf, kicking in the face heartbroken Villa players who had fell to their knees in defeat. Deansky received a savage elbow to his left temple, dropping like Pinocchio with his strings cut. Down and staying down. Try going to VAR now, Dinsky. In the changing rooms, it seemed like a joy bomb had gone off, showering everyone in grins and whoops and hollers and backslaps. Reachcliff burst through the door and stood soaking the side in, like a Roman emperor returning from a victorious campaign against the barbarian hordes. Did I miss something, guys? Chaos ensued. Reachcliff's mantra sounded loud and proud in his head. 
No one messes with 110th MPs. Do keep your correspondence coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate, reviews. We humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Rory, and particularly Andy this week. And to you all for listening, we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I think that is a higher standard of prose than the actual Reacher books. Uh, are, you, are you tempted now to maybe go and read? No, is that, not is that, at you, all. You, you, That's it now, isn't it? It's only it's downhill from here, isn't it? What I would like is a, is a follow-up and possibly a prequel. There's a, do you think there's a, there's a novel in there? I think there is, there is more than a novel. Steve, there is a, Steve, yeah. Steve, Bruce, Steve Bruce wrote a few books, didn't he? Defenders, he did. He did. Striker, not as good as Defenders, Striker and Sweeper. And holding the field. What? Oh, Sweeper, that's one. Yeah, is that about men that do the No, I think the, third oh. one, I think the third one was called He Can Play as a Ten, but he's maybe best as an Eight. I think that's the... That was the title <laughs> right, of the third sounds, one. That sounds we, a, that's um, a good story. What do, what do we think of our... Um, accent consistency throughout uh, uh, your yours Hugh was excellent <laughs> what, wondering about uh, Steve's American did accent it, that it also waver? includes the, the pronunciation of last as last <laughs> <laughs> well you can take the boy out of the home counties oh. you can't take the home counties out of the boy by the way, we had uh, you remember last week Chinch you were telling us who actually does the audiobooks for the real Reacher We've got a Jeff Horring Mick Keynes. Hi to Ted, Ralph, Tony, and Brilliant. For the purposes of visualisation, should that be required, is Sir Chinchlot aware that his reach narrator, Jeff Harding, was the Hi, I'm Ed Winchester character in the oh, 90s really? sketch fest, The Fast Show. With the warmest of regards, Mick Keynes. So, uh, that's those, why I always yes. Are, yes, UK based and old enough uh, to remember The Fast Show in the 90s, there was a guy, real American, called uh, Jeff Harding, who played this guy called Ed Winchester, and all he would do is the kind of news reporter guy. He would just come in and just say, "Hi, I'm Ed Winchester." I'm Ed Winchester. This is this is this is soccer English style, that type of stuff. But that that's what I base my American accent on, Ed Winchester. But Jeff Harding, is, I, I presume I'm I'm twelve books in now to the Reacher to, uh, audio list, and I presume I presume he's done them all. That's a lot of hours of Reacher. It took it Probably out of me just reading that bit. <laughs> Can't be good for your brain doing that much research, but cowering. equally, I imagine it's good money. Is he just? Yeah. He's probably just cowering in the corner in a rocking chair now. And can I just say, actually, one one of the lines in there that Nikki and I probably enjoy more than any else is the Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo, I look like a potato with eyes. That's just a nod to to I think it's uh, Frank and Gracie, or is it Gracie? Is it Grace and Frankie? Yes. Yeah, uh, and it's Martin Sheen. He delivers that line. And it's just, I just think, I had to get it in there, and I just wonder whether, if people didn't notice, I thought I'd better just flag it up. But that is my favourite line in the whole piece. Ginger, it was a masterpiece, all of it. Yes. Well, you know, you know. Lovers yeah, of Reacher own... will, will, mm. will know that Francis L. Negley, Carla Dixon uh, are, are real characters oh, yeah. in, the, in, in the Reacher oeuvre, but Mikhail Dinsky is not. Uh, isn't he? Is he not in... No, is he not a, is he not a Russian gangster that gets his <laughs> no. face kicked in? Could be in one of the later ones I've not read yet, Chinch. I would there. say that that having having not just sort of read through that obviously before before the performance, but but listen, being part of the performance, one of the one of the great matinees, uh, I would say that that writing's loss, Chinch, was very much also football's loss. Oh. <laughs> at least I'm consistent. I'm terrible at everything.